Good morning, everybody. Today I'll be reading scripture from Matthew 16, verse 24 to 28. So 24 to 28, Matthew 16. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will be reward, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. These are the words of the Lord. Thank you. As I was uh, preparing for the sermon, and even before that, I was reading some, some materials. And one of the things they say to you, said, you know, when you start a sermon, you need to be memorable. You want people to remember you. And never start with, good morning. So, good morning. <laughs> uh, welcome, welcome this morning. Thank you for being here. I think it is important that you and I be here. Because in Hebrews, the writer says, we are told to consider how to spur one another onto love and good deeds. And we are reminded not to neglect meeting together as some have made a habit. This is a good thing because hopefully I will stir you in your walk. And when I come here, I know some of you are facing some issues. Some of you, it's hard for you to get here. For some of you, it's really hard for you to get here. And even some of you were saying, you know, today I don't think, I don't think I'll go to church. But when you are here, I am here, you encourage me in my faith, and hopefully, you know, through this little sharing, I'll also encourage you in your faith. So when, he, when I hear about the challenges, the hardship, the troubles, and I say, you know what? I am also encouraged. Because in spite of these troubles, in spite of the trials, in spite of whatever issues that you are going through, you are here. And you're telling me, we are telling each other, we are walking together on this road. But we don't want just to attend church. This is easy, right? Attending church. We'll be here for approximately an hour. We are very comfortable. Each one of us, we have our own seat, right? We have a, when we come to church, we know where we'll be sitting. We are comfortable. But what happens after 12.15, when we get out of here? What happens? What happens tomorrow? What happens the day after? What I would like to talk about is really how do we follow Jesus 
in some ideas, a few thoughts. How do we follow Jesus in 2024? How do we interact with people? How do we interact with our families? The people we work with, the people we go to school. The question is, what does it really mean to be a follower of Christ? From year to year, one thing we know, we are not getting younger. We are getting weaker, we are getting older, we are getting fragile as the bodies waste away. But how do we keep following Jesus? The call to follow Jesus is radical. It says, pick up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. Following Christ means to surrender and to listen to Christ's leading and his calling for us. He tells us to put aside the loads, the burdens, the baggage, and to take on a new load. It is a move from a self-centered life to one that is Christ-led. But if we look closer, he tells us that the road that we are on is narrow. The road that we are walking on is a narrow road. And we tend to forget about that. Let's just pray for a moment. Father God, we, we thank you for this day. We thank you that the gift of this day to us we thank you for the opportunity of us gathering together, being here. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak for me, that for my words and you speaking for me, Father, that you would lead us to get a better understanding what it means to follow you each day. Amen. One of the things, uh, some of you may be aware, I teach part-time at Tyndale. And I always, very often, one of the things that keeps coming up all the time, the students keep telling me, I am late for this assignment. We don't have time. We, we don't have time. Said so We have jobs to do. And, it's, and they always tell me this thing. They say, you know, it's not only about French, because I teach French. We have this other workload that we are dealing with. We don't have time. And I always stop, and I keep asking them the same question. I said, let me ask you this question. Do you have time? I said, really, do you have time? And then everybody says, yes, we do have time but we spend it a little bit differently. The question that I have for you this morning is, 
do we have time? How much time do we give to a growing of faith? Yesterday, as I was preparing, I was looking at my notes, and at least five to six times, I said to myself, I want to pray. I want to spend some time praying. I listen to music. I listen to praise songs. But I said, I just want to spend some time praying about this. I need prayer before I come in front of you here this morning. But what I found out, it was hard. Because I was distracted. There was always some kind of distraction that was coming my way. But we are reminded here to seek first the kingdom of God and all other things will be given unto us. Seek first the kingdom of God and all other things will be given unto us. Gordon MacDonald has an excellent book. It's an old book written in the 1990s. It says, Cried Followers in the Real World. And one of the things he said, he said, I am not going to use the word Christian. What I'm going to use is the word a Christ follower. Because he said, over the years, what I've noticed, the word Christian has received some kind of a bad rap, so to speak. So I want to use another term, following Christ, a Christ follower. So I want to read a little excerpt of this book for you. He was called to work in New York City. And he said, I want to think about New York, and I want to think about what does it mean to follow Christ in New York. And this is what he writes. New York City fully aroused within me something that had been brewing for many years. The renewed challenge of insisting that my life of following Christ be absolutely nose-to-nose with what is going on on the streets where people live and work. Suddenly, I find myself going to the office every day with a re-energized vision of discovering how Jesus would engage people and situations were this the time and place of his incarnation. So he said, if Jesus were to come in New York City today, how would he engage with people? And he goes on to say, when I saw the homeless man sleeping over the subway grate, when I heard the ceaseless sirens of the police ambulance, and this is something we hear here all the time, when I read the news of the latest drug bust, when I smell the strong odor of urine in the subway station, and when I felt the instant anger arise within me, because someone ripped me off for $40, I knew that I was in a world I had never seen or taken seriously before. If I were to survive and make some small contribution in it, I'd have to come to know what it means to follow Jesus in it. And he said to me, and he said, there was a new set of questions about how one follows Christ in such a complex, treacherous, 
and beautiful place. How does one who cares the slightest bit about faith in God live in a place like this? And this is his answer. Answer that question and you are liable to understand how one can live through faith in any other part of the world. For here in this city, for here in New York, for here in Western, there is the best of the best and the worst of the worst. Here in Western, there is the best of the best and the worst of the worst. In this book, he says, one of the things that he says is that if you want to follow Christ, he says, I see there are three parts of my life that needs to be involved in that. He said, the first part is the upper part. He talks about heaven. He said, my thoughts about heaven. And then he said, if I want to really follow Christ, then I need to go in a different place, and that place is, is within myself. And the third part that he talks about, he says the other part that Christ, I need to follow Christ, is the outer part. And this outer part is how do I engage with people when I am on the streets? The other thing that he talks about, he said, when I look, now when I look at this, when I look at these three components, and I also look at the people in the Bible, I notice the people who really followed God, there were three elements involved in their lives. He said, the first thing I notice is that the people who were involved, the heroes of faith, and you know the people I'm talking about, he said these people, they had a certainty how to meet and commune with God. This is something that they were focused on. There was this desire to meet God, to see him, to talk to him, and to commune with him. That's the first part. The second element he talks about, as they start to grow in their faith, they had a certain degree of self-control. And they came to understand that in their lives, God has power. And they wanted to use that God's power in their lives. And the third element of this is that they realize that they are a part of history. You and I are a part of history. It's a unique part so that when I interact with people, they understood that there is a part of history that was in the making and that was unique And they want to ensure that God aligns with them in that meeting. They said, when they meet people, they say, God is with me in that particular meeting. And I want to interact with this person because 
God has a plan for me in that particular interaction. He said, these are the things that they, um, they kind of, these were their focus. Pastor Allen last week talked about this a little bit. He talked about not just time. When he, ta- when he was talking about the presence and absence of God, he was talking about the Kairos moment. And that Kairos moment, I believe, is that moment of history in that interaction where we see, we know that God is there, present with us, interacting with us, and dealing with that particular situation. It also means to choose God over the world, to resist the sinful influences and values of a world. You know, Jesus prayed and he said to his disciples, be in the world but not of it. This requires practice, courage, strength, discernment, vigilance. There's one thing that God tells us. He says to us in James, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. So if something is not working, he says, draw near. If you don't feel anything, just draw near. And this is amazing when you come to think about this for a moment that you can influence God, so to speak. You draw near, he draws near. This is, this is pretty amazing when you come to think about this. You just have to draw near, and he will draw near to you. So yesterday in my attempt, this is what I was trying to do. I was trying to draw near, but each time I was trying to draw near, I know that God was trying also to draw near, but there was other distractions coming, saying, no, don't do this. I recently, I spent a week on vacation in the Dominican Republic. I was at a, at a resort, and um, what I noticed, there was a group of people from Sri Lanka, not from Sri Lanka, but um, from the Sri Lankan origin that was there. Anyways, I was interacting with them, and a gentleman came to me, and he said to me, are you from Trinidad? I said, no. He said, are you from Guyana? I said, no. He said to me, are you from Sri Lanka? I said, no. I said to him, I'm from Canada. And his response was, aren't we all? When I came to think about this for a moment, and you know, he never, you know I interacted with him for over that, during that week, but um, I, he, he didn't want to talk to me because, and then I told him, I'm from Mauritius. Why I'm telling you this story is a very simple, is a very simple one. 
I am from Mauritius, but my great-great-great-grandparents came from India. I have no connection with that part, no connection at all. But what has happened over the years is that for over four generations, my grandparents, my father, we were all Christians. And Alan asked that question last year. When was the time in your family that God broke into your family to reveal himself to you? When did that happen? What I wanted to say is that I am, in terms of my own identity, I don't see myself as from Trinidad or Guyana or India. My new identity is that I am a Christ follower. This is who I am. That's the core of my, what my identity is. But probably that answer didn't please him. What is the most important thing? In Philippians, Paul writes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We are, we are following Christ. We are pursuing God. But very often Christ is one among the other gods I tend to follow. I have other pursuits. And he comes around, he's one of them. When was the last time you really had a meaningful experience with God? We know that God is present all the time, wherever we go. That's who God is. But what I'm talking about, this manifested presence of God. When we really sit down and we really felt that God is manifesting himself in our lives, in that interaction. Jesus, talking to Philip, says, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? I think our vision of God very often. You know, God, I don't know whether you watch home renovation shows. If ever you watch home renovation shows, you know how it's going to end. Do you know how it's going to end? With a reveal? Oh my God. Right? That's how, it, that's how the show normally ends. So, you know, something has been renovated, oh my God. But when you come to think about it for a moment, all the people, all the heroes of faith, 
they have a different reverence for God. If you think about uh, Isaiah in chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah, he had a reverence for God. And he says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one of them had six winds. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. I think as we look at 2024, we need to ask God, Lord, give us a better glimpse of who you are. We want to see you. We want to see your glory. We want to see you. And I think that will influence the way we look at our own lives and also how we interact with others. We are very polite, right? When we come to church, we are very polite. We know how to behave. But what happens after this? What happens when you're driving? When someone cuts you off? What happens when you're irritated? By your coworkers? What happens at school? How do we react? And I think that looks that talks to us about our inner self. We also need, I think, to take some time to look at what is happening inside of us. We need to, to take a hard look at our inner lives, where decisions are effectively made. And when we look inside, realize that inside of me, there's also darkness. There are, other, there are pieces in me that is not aligned to Christ. And then there's darkness. And we need to bring Christ into these places within ourselves so that he would bring his light into it. As David says in Psalm 139, Search me, O God. Know my heart, test me, and know my anxious thought. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. If we were to, look, to follow Christ closely, we need to look inside. We need to examine ourselves. We need to examine our motives. The more we look into ourselves, the more darkness we'll see and the more opportunity for Christ to come in and light up the darkness. I don't know about you. Have you ever said to yourself, I can't, 
I can't believe I said this. Have you ever said that to yourself? I can't believe I said this. I can't believe I thought about that. I can't believe I did this. Paul undertook a similar journey. And he, he discovered how multi-layered he was when he cried out, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body of death? If I were to ask you for a moment, and this is something I've asked myself, what is your identity? Who are you? What are, if you were, if someone were to say, who are you, what would you say? Many of us are retired. Probably you'll say, you know what? In my previous job, this is what I used to do. We identify ourselves with a profession, a career. This is who I am. We can also identify ourselves with, you know, these are my degrees. We can also identify ourselves about a family. I'm married. I'm not married. I have children. And someone would say, I also have a dog. We can identify ourselves with our accomplishments, right? But what I want you to think about, think about your failures. Think about your weaknesses. Think about these areas of darkness. Maybe this is what a true identity is all about. These are where we fail each time. This is where we are so weak. Because at the end of the day, our identity is that these identity, these things be transformed as we follow Christ. So we ask Christ to come into these areas of darkness and change these things so that at the end of the road, we will be like him. Our successors of our republic, right? Our accomplishments of our republic. We need to allow God's spirit to move into these areas. Areas of a weakness that needs transformation. At the end of the day, this is what we are all about. That by following Christ, we will be conformed to his image. And we'll be back to the Garden of Eden where God created man to his own image. But that was lost. And then as we follow Christ day by day, we are transformed and we are conformed to that, to that image. Very often our Christian lives are a little bit like 
what we, are, what we seek are just blessings. And blessings are give me, right? This is what blessings are. This is what I need. I need this job. And if we have a job, we need a better job, but, and hopefully with a pay increase. That's what we pray for. But is this what it's all about? I think the, we have the greatest blessing. We have Christ as our model. We have Christ as our example. And if we follow him, it's promised we will be like him. We will be transformed and be like him. We are reminded. We are reminded not to be anxious, but in every situation through prayer and thanksgiving to make a request known to present a request to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your, your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we should not lose heart. In 2024, we should not lose heart. Though our self is wasting away, yet the inner self is being renewed day by day. That's what the Word says. And if we keep spending time reading the Word, if we just take a moment at times, and this is sometimes in my own prayer life, that's what I try to do. I would read one verse, and I will pray about it. For instance, here it says, you know, I will give you a new heart, and you a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will give you a new heart. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of Christ. And these are not things we do on our, by ourselves. As we allow, we spend time, as we spend time with God during our prayer time, give it a priority. Stick with it, even when we're distracted, to stick with it, to stick to that time and come back. I often pray again for these verses, and I said, Lord, this is what you promised. You promised to me when I'm reading this verse, I would say, Lord, you promised that you will give me a new heart, that you will put a new spirit in me. Father, I pray that you would remove from me that heart of stone. Again, you know, and the third part is that we talk about the outer words of the streets. You know, most of us, you know, we have here in our church, there are a few positions that are paid and people are working full-time. But most of us, we don't work full-time in ministry. We have our own secular jobs, so to speak. And again, think about this time when you're interacting, that you are a part of history in that interaction. As you interact with people at schools, as you interact with people at work, as you interact with people here, as you go to the restaurants and buy shawarma, whatever 
other food or donuts or whatever it is, a coffee. How do you interact? To think about, we are a part of history. Jesus tells us, one of the things, uh, a model Jesus, he says that he welcomed people from all walks of life. From tax collectors to the sinners, to people who were disabled, to prostitutes. Jesus was ready to engage. Are we ready to engage? I was at... Um, I went to see the doctor recently because I had a cold. And then there was this gentleman. He was talking very loud. He walked into uh, the room, where everybody, the waiting room where everybody was waiting. He started to talk very loud. And I was praying. I said, I hope he dis-. there was a, like a chair near me. I said, I hope, I just hope he doesn't come and sit near me. Guess what? Oh, you were there too. <laughs> and he came and sat. And he was very loud. Everybody could hear what he was saying. And I said to myself, do I just leave and go? But you know what? The interaction was very simple. He was loud. I kind of nod. And uh, there was no harm. But do we engage? How much do we engage, Right? And we have these situations. We have these situations every day. How, how do we engage? What would Jesus do? Really, you know, it's a simple thing. We tend to think about that, right? People say, what would Jesus do? But what would he do? Would we engage? How does God see the city? How does Jesus see the streets? I have a friend, I've mentioned that I have a friend in France. One of the things that she would do, she would really look for opportunities to engage. So she would go and see whether there are classes that she could teach for free. With the local council, they call it the local council. So are there opportunities? And she would go into sewing classes, into gardening, because they have a little bit of a... She said to me, I'm not a gardener. I hate gardening. But the only reason she would go into these places, she said, there, there could be an opportunity for me to engage so that I can meet people who are non-Christians and I can have an opportunity to engage. Very often when we think about opportunities, what opportunities are we looking for? Are these oppor- when we think about opportunities, are we thinking about opportunities for our self-advancement? Or are we looking for opportunities to engage others who may not share our same faith? I want to close with this. Probably some of you know, I've heard of Jonathan Edwards.
He was known as a revivalist, and he lived between 1703, and he died in 1758. He was only 55 years old. One of the things that he did, at the age of 19, he wrote a series of resolutions. He wrote 70 resolutions when he was 19 years old. All his resolutions started by almost like this, resolved. This is what he wrote at the age of 19. He said, resolved. He said, basically, he will give a little bit of a preamble to it. And he said, I am going to be, I will be resolved to do this. There was only one thing that occupied his own, his whole life. The glory of God. He said, this is what I want to do. In everything that I do, this is what I'm going to be focused on. I want to glorify God. In everything I do, at any time, this is what my focus will be. And this is what will motivate me. I choose, I'm resolved to glorifying God. He was so determined by this, and this is what he says. He said, God, I resolved. I want God to stamp eternity on my eyeballs. I want God to stamp eternity on my eyeballs. So I will live all my life looking at eternity. Because he said this. He said, you know, the one thing I know some of the, a few things that he said, he, well, he wrote 70 resolutions. He said, first of all, I know that I have this life, but this life is short. That's the first thing he said. He said, this life is short. The second thing I know, that death will come all of a sudden. And the third thing I know is that eternity is long. Life is short, death will come all of a sudden, but I know that eternity will be long. So I want to live my life, I want to follow Christ, I want to live my life in light of this. So God, I want you to stamp eternity on my eyeballs. We are in 2024. 2024 comes to us as a gift, right? 2024 comes to us as a gift. God is saying to us, I give you 2024. To some of us, he may say, you know what? I give you part of 2024. But think about that for a moment. The time that you were born was determined. The time that we are going to die is determined. It's determined. There's nothing we can change about that. 
But the, and think about this for a moment, right? You have some kind of concern, right? Well, yeah, that is determined. The time that God has given us is perfect. The days, the number of days that God gives us is perfect. That's according to his plan because he's a perfect God, right? He said, I give you this time. The amount of days that I've given you is perfect. God gave us this gift. He gives us this gift of time. He gives us 2024. The best gift we can give to God in return is what? Follow him. Let me ask you this question for a moment. What is the best gift that you can give to your kids? What is the best gift that you can give to your family? What is the best gift that you can give to your coworkers? That is, what is the best gift you can give to this community? Follow Christ. Because if we were to follow Christ, what can go wrong? So this is my encouragement to you. This year comes to us as a gift. Our gift back, our response back, is let's follow him. Let's follow him in our places of work. Let's follow him at school. Let's follow him when we interact with people. Let's follow him when we are by ourselves, when we are talking in our families, because that's the best thing we can give back. Amen.